Project. My name is Andy, one of your co-hosts. And I'm Tia, your other co-host. And on this podcast, Tia and I like to share the untold stories of entrepreneurs and the mind, body, and soul work that they have done to get to where they are today. We are continuing with the Enneagram episode. And who do we have on this week? So this is episode 50, first of all. Oh yeah, 50 episodes, halfway to 100. (laughs) (laughs) So on today's episode, we have Amy, who is a therapist and certified Enneagram coach. She is actually the director of Kara's House, a counseling center in St. Louis, Missouri, where Andy and I both received therapy. And she helped start Kara's House because she believes in providing a safe, inviting place for people to experience healing and restoration. Um, In this episode, she educates us on therapy and integrating the Enneagram. And then you'll leave with tools for that personal inner work. She is a type nine. So we talked all about discovering her type as well as mistyping as a nine. And I learned a lot of things about the nine that I felt as an eight with, I think going seven, but I was like relating a lot to her experiences. But we also talk about having the Enneagram is a tool to help you have the words to name the patterns in our lives. We also talk about using the Enneagram to relate relationally, and that means friendships, partnerships, all that good stuff. And I think Andy and I are beginning to explore more of this with the Enneagram, but identifying those childhood wounding messages that you might have not directly been told, but through actions and other ways have been told these. Yeah, I think Amy does a good job of explaining the childhood wounding messages. And this is the first time we've talked about this topic on the Enneagram series. So make sure you tune into that part. We also talk about combining the Enneagram and your relationship with God. Yes, we dive a little bit deeper into just how to use the negative messages you hear about yourself and replace them with the prayers with your relationship with God. So I thought that was really um, insightful. And then finally, she talks about using the Enneagram with your partner and how to begin to um, use it as a tool to continue creating that healthy relationship. And now here's your episode with Amy. Well, welcome, Amy, to the Soul Life Project. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. We are excited to have a licensed therapist and certified Enneagram coach on the pod today. You are the first. Yes. Hopefully I will do us proud. (laughs) We know you will. (laughs) Well, we want to first thank you and also let our guests know, you know, you were, you developed and you helped build Kara's house. And that is actually where both Andy and I have received counseling and just helped us through a very transformational time in our life. So we want to thank you. Oh, thank you guys. I'm glad that you had a good experience at Kara's house. It's always just a real treat to hear from people who have had a good experience. It lets us know like, okay, we are accomplishing our mission. So yeah, it's exciting. And I even heard it from a friend and a friend heard it from another friend. So that's like four referrals deep. So yeah, Yeah, it's exciting just to see a dozen that. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. 
And for those of you who don't know what Kara's House is, it's a counseling center, affordable counseling center for anybody local to St. Louis that is needing to talk to somebody. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting because when Kara's House started, in 2009, there really wasn't much counseling in the city of St. Louis. There was um, a lot of counseling outside the city limits, but there wasn't much inside the city limits. And so that was part of our desire was to provide affordable counseling that could be accessible to people that may otherwise find just like the geography itself a barrier. Now there's a lot more counseling, but back then there wasn't as much. Guys are the trendsetters. I still think though, I think that's awesome. Kind of what you said, affordable counseling, because I still think it is still a resource that is scarce, like affordable counseling. And usually I feel like, again, understandable, like people get degrees and, you know, like work really hard to become therapists and, and can understand the rates that they charge. But again, can right like be hard to afford those. So you just go without help. So I, I think that that can still be a resource that, you know, can, can be grown. And I'm glad that you guys are, are doing that for all so that all people can have um, access to therapy. Yeah. You guys also provide scholarships as well, right? Yeah. That's sort of how we, how we strive to make it affordable. So we offer scholarship to those that qualify to help with counseling fees so that the fees themselves aren't a barrier to coming in and, and having counseling. So we're going to, you know, dive more into therapy and what that is and counseling. But, you know, we asked you to be on the um, Solar Project because we're doing an Enneagram series. And so we're excited to dive into Enneagram and therapy. But we would um, love for you to tell us more about your journey to discovering the Enneagram. Yeah. So I really started learning about the Enneagram through our counseling interns. They were coming to Kara's house and um, always talking about their numbers and asking me like, hey, what do you know about the Enneagram? Which at the time was very little. And I think in, in those days, I was a little skeptical of how popular it was becoming. I was thinking like, how is this really different from any other personality assessment? Why, why is this receiving sort of the attention that it is? And so when I got an opportunity, I got invited to a conference about the Enneagram in Nashville. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to do this. I am going to go. I'm going to learn about this and see if it's really like as good as people are telling me it is. And so I went to a weekend long conference and I was just blown away by the way that I could see this being such a helpful tool for people, not just a personality assessment to say like, oh, this is how I how I'm wired or how I think about things, but really like, oh, this is helping me name patterns that I've seen in my mm. life that I maybe wouldn't have words for before, but, and really could see it as a tool to help people um, identify barriers that they're experiencing, either in relationship or even in work environments and help them see like, how they're responding in those, how the things that they believe about themselves might be affecting those things and really move toward healing in a, in a new way. So 
I totally said, yes, I, I see this. I understand why people are so drawn to it. And I see how it can really be a tool in counseling and I want to learn more. So uh, that's when I decided I'm actually going to go ahead and train to be a coach. And so that's how I did that. Very cool. I think Tia and I both love part of your journey where you took these interns comments about the Enneagram and decided, hey, I'm not going to just blow my interns off. I'm going to actually look into this. I'm going to adapt. I'm going to challenge myself and I'm going to be the, I'm going to become the expert. So do you have any advice for people on taking the interns seriously and also for yourself, like adopting new ideas and, and change in your life? Yeah, I would say something that I feel really passionate about, and I just encourage all people to, in whatever field you're in or whatever stage of life you're in, to always be a learner. And so I think that that is especially important for counselors um, to always be learners, to not just mm-hmm. think, okay, well, I've I've completed the things that I need to complete to to do therapy with for people, but also to think like there's always more things to learn. And there's we're learning so much about people and the brain all the time. And so it would be arrogant, frankly, to think like, well, I've arrived and I I have what I need, so I don't need to learn. And so I really look at our interns man, they're, they're on the forefront of learning what's new, what's new in therapy, what's new in how we think about people and relationships. And so I have so much to learn from them all the time, as much definitely as they have to learn from me as a, as a more experienced therapist. So I encourage people in whatever way they can to just always try to be learning. Yeah, I think that's really great advice. And I think, you know, a lot of our listeners, you know, are in the same age range, but I think we're in that stage of now becoming not necessarily intern anymore, but coming into stage where there are people coming, you know, under us. And so continuing to have that, that's really great advice of like, okay, remember how you wanted to be taken serious and, and, and like, you know, looked at as you have something to say. So continue, continue that, that process. So I think that's really great advice. Yeah. So you're a nine and we haven't had an Enneagram coach on that is a nine yet. So what was it like when you discovered your number? Well, like a lot of nines, probably I mistyped at first uh, because nines typically are not um, very good at seeing themselves really clearly. Really, they can stay sort of foggy to themselves so that they maintain that sense of inner peace that they so desire. Mm-hmm. And that was definitely true of me. And so it took a little bit for me to land on my type. At first, I thought it was a two. And nines and twos share a lot of the similarities. They both are drawn toward people. They both are caring. But sort of the motivations and the core fears that they experience are quite different. And so I was training with my, the lady that trained me to be an Enneagram coach. And we were in like our second session and I, I was like, you know, everything you're saying, I'm not resonating with right now. <laughs> and she said, oh, okay, good. Yeah. I really didn't think you, that you were too, but I don't, I'm not going to tell people what their type is. And so then that's when we started looking at nine and I was like, oh my gosh, yes, this is this I definitely resonate with and 
feeling that sense of having a lot that I felt like I wanted to offer to people, but also having that doubt that my presence really mattered in situations. Really, I experienced that a lot. And through through my training to be a coach, I was really learning how to like lean into my own voice and just say those things and not doubt my own presence in different settings quite so much. So that was really impactful for me. Yeah, we have a friend who is a nine, but felt like she was a two and also is in school to be a um, therapist. So, so it's kind of, I'm sure like, again, I feel like the Enneagram brings people together and you don't feel so like, am I the only one who feels these things? Definitely. Yeah. And I think it does it again. It just helped me see myself a lot clearer, even looking back into like adolescence and early twenties thinking like, Oh yeah, it makes so much sense. Like how I was trying to make sense of the world and different patterns that I saw in myself, but I couldn't really identify what was going on there. Like learning more about the nine and, and not just the traits, but the pattern of the nine and how the nine reacts under stress and how the nine, what it looks like when we're in health, like was really helpful. Can you explain the nine, the health and the stress? Can you, can you explain which way they go? Yeah. So nines under stress move towards six, which if you think about six, when the, like those negative traits, they experience a lot of anxiety, a lot of sort of doubt. And the interesting thing about nines is they, they experience that too, but it's much more internal. So you, most of the time you don't see a nine and think, wow, they're really anxious, necessarily know that, but internally they can mm. experience a lot of anxiety. So a lot of ruminating thoughts of, especially around relationships. So like, man, I, I said that to Tia the other day. I wonder if when I said that she thought I meant this, mm. Ooh, I should probably follow up with her and let her know that that's not what I meant. I hope that's okay. So that kind of like thinking through things and sort of getting stuck in that anxiety of what we said or did in a situation. And when we're healthy, we move, I believe, toward the three. So we become more like putting ourselves out there and able to use our voices and um, engage more confidently. I didn't know that about the nine, which um, I'm an eight and I feel like sometimes my wing is seven, sometimes it's nine, but in like when I feel like I, those conversations with relationships, I definitely had that experience with the boss of like, I said this, like, did it make him feel this way? And just, oh, like replaying, 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 like what I could have said differently, how I could have communicated it which I didn't like ever recognize or acknowledge that before. So, hmm. yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that could be part of that nine wing that you dip into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we want to dive a little bit into therapy for any of our listeners that are considering therapy or kind of have this negative connotation when it comes to the idea of going and sharing their life with somebody. <laughs> so why should someone consider therapy? Why should someone consider therapy? Well, I think especially in this time that we are in with the pandemic and so much of the world changing, I 
I think it's a really unfair expectation for anyone to think you should just be able to navigate all of that by yourself and make sense of that all by yourself. I think that that is just a really harsh expectation of ourselves. And so I think when I think about people pursuing therapy, it is really giving yourself a place to kind of unpack the things that you're carrying around from the experiences that you've had. And we all have that. We all have these like little burdens that we carry in our proverbial backpacks Mm -hmm. of the experiences that we've had. And when I think about therapy, I think about just inviting someone to help you like take those weights out and Mm -hmm. look at them and hopefully leave them out so that you can experience freedom and a lightness that maybe you haven't in the past. And so I really think of therapy as being something that's beneficial to everyone, not just people who have problems. I think it's good for anybody who's trying to make sense of living in this world because it's complicated and it's really difficult. So yeah, that's when I think about therapy, that's what I think about. So I have a question based on like, say, I think a lot of people are more open to therapy and have gotten therapy and say that is, you know, you, and you just want your close people to experience that. Or you, you know, or you feel like if they just went to therapy that they would, you know, feel this same type of freedom. What's your advice on not pushing someone because it has to be their own choice, but being able to like share your experience that may lead or may not, but like still recognizing like you can push too far if, you know, you can't force that other person to do it. Yeah. And you can't people therapy is only helpful when you're, when you're ready to do it and you're being motivated for it by yourself. When you feel like someone's making you go, or, you know, you're trying to please someone else, it makes it a lot more difficult for therapy to feel helpful. So what I tell people is when you have a good experience in therapy, like share it. And what that does is that starts to normalize the idea Mm -hmm. of like, oh, it's not just certain people that therapy is good for. Like I see my friend and she she's a lot like me and she's benefiting from therapy. So maybe this is something I could try. So, so sharing that experience really does normalize therapy. And I think also just, just being really open-handed, like, Mm. Hey, you don't, you don't have to do this. I'm going to be your friend. I'm going to be with you, whether you choose to or not, but but this might help you. And again, I think that gives people freedom of choice which is really important. Yeah, I think Tia and I both had, like we said, an amazing time doing counseling at Kara's house. And I liked what you said when we talked before about how, especially when I was in my counseling set, we talked about the Enneagram, but we also talked about how it put language to my experiences and gave me this new awareness that I would have never had if I didn't go to counseling because I wasn't going to be able to decipher that myself. And like you said, it's not something where I went to counseling and I had all these problems. I literally had stuff that it was like everyday life stuff that I wanted to talk about. And it, the awareness that I took out of that has helped like tenfold in my life. And it's been 
amazing. And I also think that like, I haven't gone to counseling in, I would say almost a year now, but looking, I had just kind of talked to Tia about it and like, you know, I think it's like a season in my life now where I want to go back to counseling. Sure. So it's something that it can come in an ebb and flow in your life. And it's not something where you're always going to have to go to counseling or, you know, it's, Hey, I'm going to counseling now and I'm not going in a little bit. And then maybe in the next couple months, I want to go again. So yeah, I think it can just ebb and flow throughout your life. And it's something that just helps so much to clarify a lot of things that you've maybe like internally struggled with. Yeah. And I think too, like, I think it's Paul Tripp that says we're meaning makers. So we go through life and we have all these experiences and we make meaning out of them. We attach meaning to them. And sometimes those meanings are right. And sometimes they're not. And so what counseling can do is help us name things that we've experienced and see like, oh, I've attached this meaning to this experience and it's not right. And so that gives you the opportunity to then figure out what is the truth of that experience. And if that's true, then like, maybe I can move toward healing from that mm-hmm. experience or I can, I can reframe that in a different way. And that's a really helpful tool um, that just helps you navigate life. I think it's so true that we're not, we're not usually going to be in therapy forever. Therapy is just a helpful resource mm-hmm. for when we're going through transition or we're experiencing grief or we've had a trauma to help us care for ourselves in the midst of those things. You share how you really became interested in the Enneagram based on how it impacts you relationally. Can you talk more more about this? Yeah, I think part of what the Enneagram does is it gives us a little bit of a picture of how the different types relate to people and what's really beautiful about that and where barriers can come up for different Mm. types. And so I think that that, for me, that's really helpful. Even I think about, you know, being a mom and seeing the times when I could engage my kids, but instead I'm checking out because that's something that nines really do. They, if, if that inner peace is threatened, they can sort of just check out. And sometimes they can check out in good good ways, like reading a book, or it's not all just like Netflix, but still just like withdrawing that presence a little bit. And so I was able to, to recognize that, that tendency in myself and to see times in my relationships that I have, like with my kids or my husband, where like, oh, I'm, I'm withdrawing my presence a little bit and just mm-hmm. like, even invite God into that to say like, okay, God, I see myself doing this, like, help me not do that. Help me stay present. Cause that's so good at, that's so helpful in creating like, like a good secure attachment. And I want that. I want that for me and my kids. I want that for me and my husband and me and my friends. Like I want to be fully present. But part of that was recognizing, oh, I do have this tendency to to not. And I wouldn't have named that before like really diving into the Enneagram. I wouldn't have named that for myself. I love how you're using the, or you do use the Enneagram, like Andy was saying earlier to name, you know, maybe this 
negative feeling or something that you're going through to then use it specifically in your prayer life. And I think that is, you know, being able to identify that to say, this is what I specifically need help with in your, in your prayers. I, I really like that. Yeah. And I think that's so important because I tell people all the time, you know, the Enneagram is wonderful. It's a wonderful tool, but it's not the gospel. It does help us identify a lot of the patterns and how we relate to people and how we think about ourselves and make sense of the world. But it's not the it's not the definitive word on who we are. Like only God really gets to name us. And so this work that we're doing using this tool, we we want to invite God into that if we're in relationship with him, for sure. You, you mentioned like earlier how the Enneagram, you know, can change the way that you see your story and, you know, pairing that with therapy and how have you, how have you seen that happen for people? You know? Yeah. I think one of the, one of the most helpful things is, so in counseling, oftentimes I do this um, thing called life mapping, which is really just like a counselor word for timeline. But when we're doing the timeline, we're really looking at events, relationships, things we participated in life that really impacted us, good or bad. And so as I'm doing that work with someone, if they, if they um, want to incorporate Enneagram into that, I'll like sort of ask questions like, okay, well, you had this experience as a child, like, and, and this is sort of how you made sense of it and how you, you know, how it affected you. Do you, do you see how that connects to your being a nine or being a four. And, mm-hmm. and so I think about part of what you can identify with the Enneagram is sort of these childhood wounding messages. That doesn't mean that like someone told you that blatantly, like told you this horrible message, but somehow in our personality, we pick up on these messages and we, we believe them, we take them to be true. And so I even think about mine which is your presence doesn't matter. And I see how I interpreted things in my childhood to like reinforce that message. No one ever told me, Amy, your presence doesn't matter. But in some of the things that I experienced, like in moving a lot, I moved like 13 times before I was in seventh grade. And those were all moves that needed to happen, but they they weren't moves where someone asked me what I thought about that. And so in part of dealing with that, I just took on this idea, like, it doesn't matter what I want. My presence doesn't matter. Now, obviously, as a little kid, I wouldn't have said that. But looking back at my story and thinking about Enneagram, I was able to say like, oh, I see where I where I did attach that message to that experience. And so those are some ways that you can weave Enneagram into your story and think like, but that wasn't necessarily true. Mm -hmm. And so I I don't have to keep living that way, Mm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. We haven't really talked about the childhood wounds. Do you have any advice or is there any questions that you can kind of ask yourself when trying to figure out how those messages, like you said, it doesn't necessarily, someone has said this to you Mm -hmm. um, in those exact words, but how to attach your experiences to this message that you've, you've got over the years. 
I think the first thing is just thinking about like, can you see, do you see this message? Do you resonate with that message? And then if you do resonate with it, where are some areas where you remember thinking that? Not where, I mean, hopefully no one did say that to you. If they did, that's a that's an easy thing to like think about. But can you remember times where you felt that way, where you felt like that was true? And just think about well, what was going on around that time when mm -hmm. you were thinking that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. There, there's a great resource. Um, called your Enneagram coach, where you can find all of this information. It's online. You can find all of it pretty easily. And it includes a free assessment. If you're not sure what your type is and you want to think about it, or you want to learn more about it, you can even do that there. So that that's where I refer people when they're kind of wanting to explore for the first time to, to learn about, you know, the core fears and the childhood wounding messages and things like that. Perfect. And that's from Beth McCord, isn't it? The yeah. Group. Yeah. Beth McCord. That's who I trained with to become a coach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I feel like I've learned a little bit about the childhood, kind of how you see the actions to kind of be your number. So I'm interested in doing a little bit more research in that area. Yeah. And I think the A is like, you'll, you will be betrayed or people mm. will betray you. And so like, that's a lot of eights have a lot of self-protection where they're not, they don't easily let people in. And so maybe if you were to look back in your life where, where you experience some of that fear of like someone betraying you or letting you down, you could start to look at hmm. where you picked up those messages. Yeah. I think this one is actually the hardest thing for me as a seven to like dive into because mm -hmm. although I... My, I think my message is you have to do it alone. Mm -hmm. You have to do things on your own. And I don't know. I, I try to like, even in counseling, we talked about it a little bit and I'm just like, I don't, I don't know. Like there's a lot of things from my childhood that I kind of like. Kind yeah, of sure. out. yeah. I just blocked out of my mind. And so tapping back into that and trying to like dig a little bit deeper on childhood stuff is is a little tough for me so yeah this is another area I feel like is is good to like you said Tia learn a little bit more about yeah and I think you know it it is helpful and if it's not coming up easily I think that's okay too like if you think about therapy as sort of unpeeling the onion layer by layer like mm -hmm maybe it's not time to do that work yet. And that's okay. Like we have a lifetime of sort of navigating these things. So we can be graceful with ourselves in the time that we do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. We do know Kara's house provides a Christian-based therapy, but do you also provide therapy for people who don't have the same faith beliefs? Yeah, absolutely. So our professional counseling is available for anybody. Now, we're very honest with the fact that our counselors are coming from a belief in the gospel. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, we also know that there's a lot of just knowledge and thinking through the world and making sense of life that is open to anybody, no matter what they believe. And so, yeah, we will we will see anybody who wants to be seen with us. There are some things that we don't 
have specialty in like addictions and things like that, then we may refer out, but we are open to anybody of any faith to come and receive care. Mm, that's good. What does it look like to combine the Enneagram and your relationship with God? How does that, like using the Enneagram as a tool with your relationship with God? Yeah, well, I think if you're a believer, like that's the only way that you should really be using the Enneagram is through the lens of how God has made you and what God says about you. And so there's actually a great book um, by Marilyn Vansel called Self to Lose, Self to Find, where in the, it's about the Enneagram. And in that book for each type, she includes a message, like a gospel message for each type, like as an eight, here's something that God is inviting you to specifically. And so that's something that I always want to bring in with people. I want them to, you know, be incorporating these things definitely in their prayer, but also reflecting on like, okay, like here's, here's a message that you deal with, or here's a core fear that you have as a nine or whatever your type is. And so how can you invite God into that fear to hear his truth, to just help you as you, as you navigate that? Mm -hmm. Um, and I just think it lends itself so well to that. Yeah, for sure. I think that as, you know, a believer as well and kind of hearing that, and I think that is good because I think it is a, a big thing in the Christian community, but as well as like you're saying, not using it as I think it's so the Enneagram is, has so many different avenues and you can dive so deep into it. And there's so much to learn. It's not just like introvert, extrovert. You can kind of engulf yourself in this to then be like, okay, all I need to do is solve this or all I need to do is stop doing this or not. And you can become to be like, well, if I just solve it this way myself, kind of leaving God out of it, then I'll become more whole. And I've seen myself in, in my, you know, it's in my experience of learning more about it, kind of moving away from the gospel to say, Oh, like, let me, you know, bring God into this that I'm learning about myself and kind of forgetting like, well, I have all these, I, you know, because it's so enlightening almost to be like, wow, like you feel so seen and you are discovering these things that you never knew about yourself, you know, which feels very powerful. And, you know, you can forget like, wait, but my source and my identity is not in my eightness, but it is in God. So I, I like, like that for those who are believers and, you know, yeah. have found interest in the Enneagram to not forget or to remember that God yeah. and the Enneagram, not Enneagram with that. Yes. And I, I tell people often like insight is wonderful. Like it's so good to learn about ourselves, learn about others and gain insight. But when we recognize things about ourselves, that recognition is always invitation to something else. And so when we recognize things, it's not just like, well, now I know this to be true about myself, check it off the box, but it's like, okay, if this is true about myself, what is God inviting me to in that? So I think that that's just a, a step that can easily be missed because we sometimes we just stop at the insight and feel really good that we got it. Yes. I just also want to reiterate too, a little bit what you said, T, is the Enneagram is a tool and it's not something that you find your identity in. And I think that's really big and everyone needs to remember that it's not the end all be all. 
And there's some people that are like, I don't want to take that test. Like it's going to put me in a box. It's going to tell me who I am. But if you use it that way, sure, you, you will feel like that. But if you use it as a tool to, or a resource to help guide you, it can be used in a very positive way. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Or on the other end too, like, oh, this is how I am because I'm this number. This is how this person is and kind of can be weaponized. Do you have anything to say, say about that of just like the cautions and the boundaries you should, you should have? Yes. I mean, I tell people all the time, one, you can't really type other people. You can invite them. You can ask them questions, but the Enneagram is so much about someone's inner experience Mm -hmm. that it's, even if you know them really well, it's a risky thing to try to tell someone what their inner experience is. So I don't recommend trying to tell people what their type is. And even once you have sort of landed on, I think I'm identifying with this type and this pattern, just to remember that that's not supposed to be the end of the story. It's a tool and tools are meant or so it's not enough to be like, well, I'm an eight. I struggle with anger. Mm-hmm. That's just how I am. Like, no, that's, it's not an excuse. Right. And it's not a weapon and it's not the gospel. It is a tool. And that's, that's how we should try to use it. I just wanted to talk about being a therapist just a little bit and how you set boundaries for your own emotional needs, but also for your clients' emotional needs. Because I know that could be a lot with sitting there and taking all of what they're saying in and maybe not leaving enough room for what you really need for yourself as well. Sure. So I think, so in therapy, some boundaries are naturally set in. So we know that our sessions are going to be a certain amount of time and we're not, you know, like, like we're very specific about that time. We try not to exceed it. We also think about how often we meet. So if we're really doing deep work, we're probably going to meet every week just to like get through that. But if we're doing lighter work or then we need more space to process, us between sessions we might do every other week so those are things that we consider and honestly I don't make those decisions but I just invite my clients in to like what do you think about this what feels good to you and then as far as like how do I care for myself in the midst of that I think a lot of prayer I I definitely pray for my clients sometimes in session but definitely after session if we didn't pray in session And that helps. I mean, obviously, I think that that's helpful, but it also helps ground me to know like, okay, this person's going out. We have a heavy session, but ultimately like they're gods and Mm -hmm. he's going to be with them even when I'm not. And that helps me like not carry um, the weight of those things with me. And then I think just being thoughtful about what my schedule is. When I see clients, when I don't, and what I, what I'm doing, like in the midst of that. So even where now with virtual, I have to think about where I see clients. So am I going to do a virtual session at my house or am I going to just be in my office anyway, even though we're virtual. And so just thinking through some of those things really helps me make sure that I'm caring for myself well in the midst of it. You mentioned just having, you know, kids and a husband. And so do you guys as a family use the Enneagram or any advice on, you know, if you want to 
you know, integrate your spouse or even if you do have kids and is there a certain age? Yeah. So with my spouse, definitely use the Enneagram. It's super helpful. After I went to the first conference, it was just like, oh my gosh, I think like you need to take this assessment. We need to talk about these things. And it was just really helpful even for us to name like that's why you do that thing that drives me crazy <laughs> or, oh, that makes so much sense. And so, yes, I definitely use that. I use it with couples when I counsel, if they want to. There's a great book um, that I think Beth McCord and her husband wrote called Becoming Us that's for couples. So that has a lot of helpful resources in it for couples. As far as kiddos, you can. There's resources out there for typing kids and thinking about kids. I don't use it with my kids too much. I don't think they're fully formed yet. So I try not to, yeah, try to predetermine too much of that stuff. But I definitely think about if I see certain things where I think like, oh, you you might be an eight. <laughs> be a seven, not in a prescriptive way, but just in a way that helps me think through like, okay, if you were like, what do you need in this moment? But yeah, I try not to, I try not to just type them. I don't, they know about it a little bit, but we, they don't, they don't talk about it too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's, have, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, do you have any advice for couples with using the Enneagram, like specifically, are there, is it, besides the book, is there a good place to start if you guys both kind of already like know your numbers? Yeah, I think if you know your numbers, like really just even having conversations about like, okay, if this is your if this is your core fear, I mean, any resource that you look at with Enneagram is going to tell you core fear. It's going to tell you sort of like the positive traits and the traits that we go to in times of stress. So you can even ask each other like, hey, where do you see these coming out of me? Where do you see these positive traits? Where do you see these negative traits coming out of me? And just have conversations around it like that. I think that can be really helpful. I like that. That's good. Yeah. Well, we want to give you an opportunity to talk about more about Kara's house and the services for any, we have a lot of people that listen in St. Louis or from St. Louis. So just the different types of counseling and, and, and how to, you know, go about reaching out. Yeah. So at Kara's house, we offer professional counseling for individuals, for couples and for kids and families. And I think one thing that is super awesome about our kids and family team is that our two, the two people that head up that team are TBR, TBRI, which is Trust-Based Relational Intervention, um, which is a special training, um, especially for foster and adoptive kids. And it's just a really, it's really impacted our whole team. Like it's for kids and families, but we've all like learned about it through them. And it's really impacted even how we think about attachment and healthy relationships. So I think that's a highlight of us. We do offer scholarship for those that qualify. So that's a way that we try to help counseling be affordable. If you're in Missouri, we offer in-person or 
virtual and so really you could be anywhere in Missouri not just in St. Louis and take advantage of Karis House and the best way to um, find us is just at our website which is karishouse.org and on that website you can either sign up for an intake phone call which means someone from our intake team will call you and talk you through the process and get you set up for counseling or there's a form that you can complete that will enact the intake process and we can do it through email if that's more helpful. So that's a little bit about us. And if someone is worried about just like, you know, their financial situation, is that something that the person on the intake call ask about or would they? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're ready. We, we can give that information and help you think through, you know, if, if you can apply for scholarship, we'll, we'll walk you through that process. Even if you don't qualify for scholarship, we'll help you think through ways that it could still be affordable. And do you have to be in Missouri in order to receive um, counseling from CARES House? You don't have to be, you do virtually. So licensure roles for professional counseling say that the counselor has to be licensed in the state where the person is. Mm-hmm. So if you are in Missouri, then you're good. If you're in a different state, the, the counselor has to be licensed in that state. Well, we want to give this opportunity to you to talk about anything that we didn't cover that you would like to share. I can't think of anything. I think this conversation was great. I know we have a couple ending questions that we like to ask all of our guests. The first one being, we kind of talk about the next best step in your journey, whether that be your personal journey, your work journey, but what's something small that you can take that's going to kind of lead to this bigger dream or picture that you have for yourself? Hmm. I would say like, it kind of depends on what that what that dream or goal is but I think a great next step is just to ask yourself what do I need do I need to learn more about my Enneagram type if so maybe you should just take an assessment and see where you get do you need to consider counseling and what would it be like to consider it what comes up for you does it you know do you have any barriers to that maybe you just need to talk more with a friend who, you know, has been to counseling to sort of demystify it for you a little bit. But I think that question of like, what do I need really can help us figure out what's the next step and where I'm trying to go. I like that. We know that, you know, you shared how people can connect to Kara's house and, but we know also know that being passionate can take a lot of energy. And so what do you personally like to do that re-energizes you? Oh man. So I'm a huge music lover. So I have probably close to a hundred different playlists. And so one of my favorite self-care things is to just put on a playlist, like think about how I'm feeling Mm -hmm. and then think of the playlist that kind of goes along with that and just put it on and just like hear the songs. Maybe I'm driving. I love to listen to music in the car. So if I, if I have a drive, I'll definitely take advantage of that. But even, even when I'm like cleaning the house or something like that, yeah, doing that. Another thing I love to do, and I highly recommend this. I didn't do this till after I had kids, but I like to go to movies by myself. Oh my gosh. My friend Amanda does the same thing. And at first I was like, girl, why are you going to the movie by yourself? <laughs> <laughs> but I she, know. 
the most relaxing time. Like it just yes. very quality time with myself and I love it. So yes. oh you're the second person that's I've heard that's that that does that. That's cool. Yeah, I just highly recommend like just trying it one time. It's just so life-giving for for some reason. I just love it. So those are two things that definitely go to. Love that. Do you, what was the most recent movie that you saw by yourself? If you the most remember. recent movie I saw by myself. I think I did bring my husband, but the one I would have gone to see by myself if he hadn't wanted to see it was the one about Anthony Bourdain. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I didn't see that. Which was, you know, it was, it was a great show. It's a little heavier, but just still, like, that experience of being, like, in a comfortable, dark space with just, like, a little popcorn and just like like immersing yourself and thinking through things I don't know there's something really replenishing about it love that very person mm-hmm. <laughs> awesome. well thank you so much Amy for being on the soul life project and taking the time to chat with us and just talk about Enneagram and faith and therapy I think this episode will be um, just a re- great resource for our community but I mentioned that I was doing this yesterday um, when I was meeting with all the lead pastors and they were like what well, then we have to like, we're going to like promote that. We should put it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> thank you guys. Bye. Bye. We just want to say thank you so much, Amy, for taking time out of your day to record with us. We love this episode of our Enneagram series, and we hope our listeners felt the same. If you are in St. Louis, Missouri, or the surrounding areas, and you're interested in checking out Kara's house for a place of therapy, you can check out their website in our show notes and start the process there. They also make it very affordable for therapy, and they also have scholarships that are available, and it's just accessible to a lot of people. And so don't hesitate to reach out. Don't forget to leave us a review on wherever you listen to your podcast because it helps others find us and our community. And we just want to say thanks for tuning in. And we'll see you guys next time.